0: Well, we're going to look in Matthew 6 today, so grab your Bibles, open up there, we're going to look in the Lord's Prayer, and today we wrap up the first half of the prayer, so we're going to take the next two weeks off of this to, to do some legitimate Christmas stuff, uh, we're going to look at uh, the, the, the Christmas story um, and, uh, and have a couple sermons on that, and then in the new year we'll be back at this, so January 7th we'll resume and we'll get into the second half of the Lord's Prayer. But today we're going to focus on the third petition, which is your will be done. So let me read this for us again, and then we'll look at it together. So Matthew 6, 9, Jesus instructs us, pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So, the Lord's Prayer uh, is tiny, right? It's compact. It's a masterpiece of instruction from Jesus. Rather than giving us a long sermon on prayer or a series of sermons like I'm doing, uh, he gives us this simple, beautiful, reproducible model for prayer that has everything that we need to know to learn how to pray. And it's so compact, it's so condensed that every word matters, every line matters. None of it's wasted or redundant. And so each, each phrase has a unique contribution uh, to the teaching on prayer. That's why we're taking our time to unpack every line together. And with that in mind, I want to ask, what is the unique contribution of this phrase today, your will be done? Uh, what does it add to our understanding of prayer? Now, we've already seen that the first three petitions, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, and your will be done, these three all hang together. Uh, they are all oriented towards God. Uh, they all are uh, things that we're asking to, uh, about His priorities first before we get to our priorities. Right? We're taking an interest in, in God's stuff before we run to our stuff. And we've seen that they're all united by this idea that, that we want things to be done on earth as they are in heaven. We want God's name to be glorified on earth as it is in heaven. We want His kingdom to come, His rule and reign to be here like it is there. And then we want his will to be done. And at first glance, maybe that seems redundant to say may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven because if his name is being hallowed on earth as it is in heaven, if, if he's being glorified, uh, and if his kingdom is coming uh, here on earth as it is in heaven, then he is also being obeyed. His will is being done. right? Because if you're worshiping the great king, if you're following the great king, you're also doing his will. So it seems a little redundant. Why would Jesus say both May your kingdom come and may your will be done. Uh, and I think the unique thing that we're being invited to do here in this moment in the prayer is that we're being invited to surrender personally to this will of God. That this is the point in the prayer where you, you personally get to come to God and just surrender to Him. You get to come right out and say it, not my will, but yours be done. This is a prayer of surrender. I don't know if you ever saw the bumper sticker on anybody's car. I just realized, like, nobody uses bumper stickers anymore, or hardly anybody does. You just put stuff on Facebook now, right, if you want to show people things. But before we had Facebook, you put stuff on your car. And uh, there was this bumper sticker that that was popular for a while. It said, God is my co-pilot. And uh, and I get what people were trying to say when they had that bumper sticker. Like, they're trying to say, I value God. You know, he's traveling with me. He's important in my life. Uh, but there is a big problem with that bumper sticker. And it was corrected by another bumper sticker that came along later that said, if God is your co-pilot, switch seats. Right? Because if, if God is your co-pilot, what you're implying is that you are the pilot. Uh, that you're the one who's in charge. You're the one who's really flying the plane. And if you need help, like if you've got to go to the bathroom for a while, you say, can you take over? I'll be right back. You know, or if you say, can you reach that thing for me? Like He's there to help you. But you're the one in charge. You're setting the direction of the plane. You're the pilot. You outrank him. Okay, But that's not right. You're not the pilot. If God's your co-pilot, switch seats. But it's our natural tendency every day when we wake up to just go right for that pilot's chair. To say, I want to be the pilot today. I want to drive my life today. I want my will to be done today. And so Jesus gives us this prayer, this daily prayer, to remind us we're not the pilots. Every day, we need to surrender to God, get back in the co-pilot's chair where we belong, and say to him, not my will, but yours be done today. So this is the part of prayer where we surrender to God. Now, what does that mean specifically? Um, uh, in a shocking turn of events, I only have two points for you today. Not three, just two. It means two things today. Today. It means that we surrender to God's plans and that we surrender to God's commands. So we're surrendering to God's plans and his commands. So first, we surrender to God's plans. I think for most of us, when we approach prayer, uh, we come to it thinking that it is a means by which we get our plans accomplished. So we come to prayer, we come to God with all of our plans, the things that we will, the things that we want. And we say, uh, I want this to happen. I have a will. I have a desire. And here's prayer. That's a tool that I can use to make the things that I desire actually happen. Right? So you got a problem in your life. Um, you, if you, wanted, you, know, you need a job, you lost your job or something's wrong there, say, okay, I have a plan. My plan is to get a new job. And there's prayer. That's a tool that I can use to accomplish my plan. And so I'm going to come to God in prayer and I say, here's my will. I want a job. Would you please make that happen? Right? or somebody's sick, or you're sick, and you come to God and you say, my will is for healing. And so I'm, I'm going to pray about that because I'm supposed to do, right? I'm going to use prayer as a means to get my will accomplished. I have plans. I want healing. You help. I'm, I'm coming to you, co-pilot, to make my plans happen. Now, I'm not saying it's wrong to ask for any of those things. We'll, we'll get there next, next time. The next, very next thing in the Lord's Prayer is asking for stuff. Okay? You, you, there's a place for that. But before we get there, we have to see that there's this surrender for many people, for all of us. Our instinct, I think, is to come to prayer and say, I'm using this to accomplish my plans. But Jesus teaches something different. When he says, pray, your will be done, God, your will be done, he's teaching us that prayer is not primarily a tool we use to accomplish our plans, but that prayer is an opportunity we have to submit to God's plans. Prayer is not about me. It's not about me coming to God and getting what I want from him. It's not coming to the vending machine and hitting the buttons in the right sequence and putting in the right amount of change so that I get the thing that I want. E7, snicker, okay, I got what I wanted from the prayer. No, prayer is us coming to a person, a king, and saying, you have plans, and before I even get to what I want for my life, I'm just saying to you, whatever you want, your will be done, not my plans, but yours. It's a surrender. It's a total surrender. You say, God, you're the pilot. I'm the, co- I'm the co-pilot. I might even be just in the coach way back there. I'd, you're in charge. I surrender. Now, that can be scary. It can be scary. But I want you to understand that this surrender, it is a total surrender, but it's not a blind surrender. God's not asking you to surrender blindly. This is, this is not like just meeting some random guy on the street and signing over power of attorney for all of your finances, and just saying, hey, you know, I, I got plans for my house, and I got plans for my 401k, and I got plans for these things, but, but random dude on the street, here, whatever you want to do, not my plans, but yours, yeah, that'd be very dangerous, that'd be stupid. Blind surrender, not a great idea. But when you know the person, and you trust the person, you're willing to surrender everything to them. I, mean, I do personally have a document in my safe, where I have signed over control of my life to a couple other people. In the event of me being incapacitated, incapacitated, unable to make my own decisions, there's a document that I have that says, when I can't do that, there are a couple people who have the authority to make all the decisions for me. Now you can probably guess who they are, right? Not random people off the street. They are people who know me who love me, who I am confident will always be working for my good and making decisions that are the best for me. And and to those people, I gladly surrender everything. And that's the kind of surrender we're talking about here when we surrender to God and we say, your will be done. It's not a blind surrender like, I don't know if this is going to be good for me. I don't know if you're pulling for me. I don't know if you're going to make decisions for my good. It's It's a surrender to a person who loves you. In fact, the whole Lord's Prayer has been leading us to this point, preparing us to surrender to God. We start out, our Father. Our Father. He's your Father who loves you. And what is he like? We say, hallowed be your name. You remember his name? The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. That's that's the God you're surrendering to. The God who shows mercy and justice, who sent Jesus to die on the cross for you so that your, your sin could be paid for, the demands of justice could be satisfied, and he could show mercy to you. And he's a king. We say, may your kingdom come. And what kind of kingdom was it? It's the kingdom of love, right? He's a king whose very commands, every one of them can be summarized in the golden rule, love your neighbor as yourself. And so if you've been praying, the Lord's Prayer, if you've been working it through from the very beginning, uh, you've been working up to this moment the whole time. You say, well, since God is my Father, since He's the King whose name is mercy and whose uh, commands are love, I can trust Him. I can trust Him. I can surrender everything to this God. He's not some random guy on the street who may or may not do good for me. This is my Father who loves me, who rules of mercy and love. And so I say to that, that God, well, yeah, I'll trust you. I'll sign over everything to you. I'll give you complete control of my life because obviously you know better than me and obviously you are working all things for my good and so not my will, but yours be done. This is a very different way of approaching prayer, not as a tool to get your will accomplished, but as an opportunity to surrender to the God who has good plans for your life. So let's look at some examples uh, to show you what this can look like. If you just flip over a page or so to Matthew chapter 8, you see one happening right away. Matthew 8, verses 1 through 3. You can learn from a leper how to pray. It says, When Jesus came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately, his leprosy was cleansed. So the leper comes to Jesus, and you know what the leper's plans were, right? His plans were healing. I've heard this guy can heal. I want healing. That's what I'm coming for. And that's fine. That's good. We should pray for healing. But notice how he asks. He says, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. He says, I know you can do this. The question is not if you can do it. I know you can You definitely have the power. You can do this. I've heard about you doing this to other people. I know you can do it. The question is not about ability, it's about will. If it's your will, if you want to do this, you can do this. He's surrendering, right? He's not demanding. He's not saying, You have to make me clean. I want you to make me clean. You've got to do this now. My will be done. He's saying, No, if you will, if you will, you can make me clean. That's what surrendered prayer looks like. It's, you, you come to, to God, you come to Him with, with whatever request you have, you ask Him for anything but you say, if you will, if you will, The preface, if you will, please do this thing that I want. And you know, that's how the leper prays, and he gets what he asked for. It is, it turns out, it is Jesus' will to heal him. He says, I will, meaning it is my will. I want to do this. Be clean. He answers the prayer. But, lest you get any ideas that this is the magic formula. Oh, that's what I was doing wrong. Now if I just put, if you will, in front of all my prayers, I'll get what I want. No. This isn't about technique. I want you to see that God doesn't always respond to this formula the same way. Let's look at the example of Jesus himself. you look in Matthew 26. So, a few more chapters in Matthew. Matthew 26, verse 36. This is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane as he is facing the crucifixion, and he begins to pray and asking God for another way. Matthew 26, 36. Then Jesus went with them to a place called called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death, remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So you could not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, Your will be done. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. And he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. So you got that three times he prays. Same sort of prayer, surrendered Prayer. He knows that he's about to be crucified. He's been building up to this moment his whole life. He knows what's coming. But now that it's about to be here, he's about to drink the cup. He says, may your cup pass from me. He knows that when he hangs on that cross, he's going to drink the full cup of the wrath of God. That God's wrath against all sin is going to be poured out on Jesus. And as he's now just a few hours away from that, he prays, he's very sorrowful. He feels what's coming and he prays God, I don't want to do it. Okay, so Jesus has plans, shocking plans, really. What do you mean you don't want to do it? That's why you came. But now that he's in the moment, he says, I I don't want to do it. So he's got these plans. He says, Father, I would like another way. I would like this to go a different way. But notice how he surrenders. Verse 39 My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. He's, he's praying like he taught his disciples to pray. He's praying, your will be done. Again in verse 42, my father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. He surrenders. And this is really interesting. Did Jesus get what he asked for? In a sense, No. I mean, he was asking, I'd like another way. If there's another way, please give it to me. So, so Jesus comes to the Father with his plans. I would like to not be crucified. And the Father says, no. Okay, so if you ever feel bad about your requests not being answered, remember you're in good company. The Father said no to Jesus. He said, no, I said, I have different plans for you. And it's good news that the Father said no. I, for one, am very glad that the Father said no to that request of Jesus, because if the cup passed from Jesus, if he did not die on the cross and pay for my sins, I would still be under the wrath of God. You would be under the wrath of God. If God had said yes to Jesus's plans in that moment, we would be dead in our sins. It was good for us for God to say no. His plans were better, and it was good for Jesus for God to say no. Because after he went through the agony of the crucifixion, he got to experience the victory of the resurrection. And he got to experience glorification so that he has a name that is above every other name in the universe. It is better for him. And Jesus now rejoices that the Father said no. And he went through all that. So the plans of God were better than the plans that Jesus proposed here in his prayer. And that's what enables us to pray this prayer of surrender. That's that we realize, even though we have our plans and we think we know what's best, ultimately God knows what is best. That's why Jesus prayed the way he did. He said, I, I, I'm just being honest. I want this cup to pass for me, but not my will, yours be done. Because he knows the Father's will is better, and we know the Father's will is better. That's what makes it possible for us to pray This prayer of surrender. Because we know we're not just slaves. We're not just slaves who say to the king, your will be done because of course your will be done because you're the king. And we never get what we want, but you get what you want, so your will be done. No, because we're not slaves. We're children. We're dearly loved children. Coming to a wise and generous father, so we say to him, your will be done because I don't have the best plans. I think I do. And I think this is what I want, so I'm going to ask for it. But always, always understanding that I don't understand everything. You do. Your plans are good. So not my will, but yours be done. I mean, if it comes down, Father, if it comes down to my plans and your plans, I want your plans because I must be missing something. That's a huge part of Christian prayer. This foundational commitment that God knows best. And so when we come to Him in prayer, of course we ask for things. Of course we come with our plans. But always under the submission to His plans. Father, may Your will be done because it's better. It's better. So we surrender to His plans, but we also surrender to His commands. So this prayer, Your will be done. It is about surrendering to His his secret plans, but it's also surrendering to his revealed commands. Uh, this, uh, this, what we've been talking about so far, uh, these plans of God, sometimes the theologians call that the secret will of God. Uh, it's, it's what we often mean when we talk about looking for God's will. So, if like a high school student is trying to figure out what do I do next? You know, I'm going to graduate. Do I go to college? Do I, you know, do something else? You know, they might say, I'm trying to understand God's will for my life. We use that sort of language. We don't know what to do next. We feel like God has a plan. We want to know what it is. That's his secret will. And when we talk like that, God's will remains this very mysterious, secret thing. We don't know it. We'd like to figure it out. We may not ever know it. But there's another valid way to talk about the will of God, and the theologians uh, refer to that as the revealed will of God. Okay, so you've got the secret will of God, his plans. Uh, you may or may not know them, kind of mysterious up there. But then the revealed will, so this is like in 1 Thessalonians 4.3, where Paul writes, this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Okay, so next time a high school student says, I'm trying to figure out God's will for my life. Say, I know what God's will is for your life. Abstain from sexual immorality. That's true for all of us, right? He's saying, this is God's will, your sanctification. He's revealed his commands and a whole bunch of other ones in the Bible too and say, this is what God wants. He has revealed what he wants us to do. He wants us to love our neighbor. He wants us to love him. He wants us to live in obedience to his commands. So there's no big mystery about that sense of God's will. It's revealed. It's in front of us. We know what it is. You can think about these two parts of God's will as uh, like being in the army and you're just a lowly private in the army. And the generals have their plans. They've got their secret plans, their mysterious plans. You're not going to know everything that they've got planned for how the whole army's going to work together to accomplish the goal, right? Because they're the generals, you're the private. so they've got their secret plans. But you do know their revealed plans, you know their revealed will, right? Those trickle down through the chain of command and they come to you and they say, now you, private, go do that. That is the will of the general for your life. And you don't know how that fits into the big plan, but you know that it's what they've told you to do, and so that's their revealed will, and you do it. In the same way, God's will has those two parts. There's his secret will, his plans, and we may not ever know his particular plans for our life in that mysterious sense. But we do know his revealed will. We do know that he has said, this is God's will for you, your sanctification. Here are the commands that you're supposed to obey. And so what's our job? Well, as, as the lowly privates in the army, our job is to submit to the, to the, to the secret will. Okay, we don't have to understand it, but we submit to it. Say, all right, you know, you know what you're doing? Well, I trust you. But also to submit to the revealed will. To say, those things that you have told me, that you have revealed in your word, that I know, that I can see, I want to do those things also. Not just sit around waiting for you to tell me what to do. You've already told me what to do. I may mean, not have the big picture, but I have the commands, and I can do those. And so part of what we're praying when we pray, your will be done, we're praying, well, your revealed will be done. The commands that you have given me to do, I'm praying that you would empower me to fulfill those commands today. I'm stepping off of my throne of self-rule and saying, I want to do what you say, not what my sinful nature says. And so Jesus says, "Pray, pray that, pray that." Now you might say, "Well, why would we?" And that's a good idea. That's a good concept. Why would we pray that? Uh, why? Because you don't really need prayer. Like we understand praying to figure out the secret will of God. You're like, "Well, I don't know it. I'm going to pray. Hopefully, He reveals it." But why would I pray uh, uh, to, to about the revealed will of God? I mean, it, don't you just read the book and do it? Right? I mean, it's there. What, what part does prayer have in all this? But it's not quite that simple. Because uh, we're not quite that simple. Uh, every one of us has a war going on inside of us. Inside of us. Now, before you were a Christian, you did not have a war going on. You only had a sinful nature, and you just did what your sinful nature desired. Pretty simple. When we get to heaven, we will not have a war going on because we will only have our renewed, uh, newly created, godly nature, and we'll have no desire to sin, and so we will always only do what is right. But now, right now, there's a war. You and I as Christians, every Christian in this room who's been born again, you have two natures in you. You have a renewed nature that has been made new by God. The Holy Spirit has moved into your life. You have all these desires to do good, to love God, follow Him. But at the same time, you still have in your flesh a sinful nature. And you know it well. The sinful nature that indulges in sin, that rebels against God, that does what you don't want to do. And so you have these two natures, these two selves that are at war with one another. You're at war with yourself. There's one part of you that wants to obey God, a part of you that doesn't want to obey God, a part of you that wants to do His will, a part of you that wants to do your sinful will. There's a struggle. Paul describes the struggle in Romans 7. Talks about how hard it is to live with this two natures. So I'm going to read a few verses. I want you to listen. Do you hear the war going on, the war within himself? And do you identify with this? you hear that? Do you identify with that? I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. What's wrong with me? Verse 19. For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, But I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? You hear the war going on there? Do you identify with that war, that struggle? Verse 22, he says, I have this delight in my inner being. I delight in the law. I want to do what's right deep down inside of me, and yet I don't do what is right. He's got that new man, that new creation that wants to do God's will, but he's still got that sinful nature that wants to do his will, the sinful will. And so when he wants to do what is good, he does what is evil. He wants to not do what's evil, but he still does it. He says, what's going on? He's a mess. I'm a mess. You're a mess. We're all a mess. What's going on? Then in verse 24, at the end of this, he cries out in prayer. I don't know if you recognize it as a prayer. This is a prayer. He says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me? from this body of death. You know what he's doing? He's praying, your will be done. That's what he's doing. He's saying, I can't do this. I want to obey God, but I've got this sinful nature. Uh, Will someone please save me from myself? That's what he's saying. Who will deliver me from myself? Who will enable me to do the will of God that I want to do, but I can't do? And so he cries out to God, God, would you help me? God, deliver me from this body of death. Deliver me from my sinful will so that I can do your good will. You see, doing the will of God is not as simple as just reading the book and acting on those commands. It's not. Paul tells us it's not. I think your own experience tells you it's not. We have this sinful nature inside of us, so it's not enough just to want to do the will of God. We need help to do the will of God, and that is why we pray. We pray. Because we can't do the will of God. And so Jesus says, every day, make it part of your routine to say, your will be done. Because if it's just up to you, you're going to do your will. Even if you want to do God's will, you're going to keep doing your will. You need help. I need help. We can't do it on our own. There's this famous story, you've probably heard it, that illustrates our predicament uh, by saying, you know, inside of you there's these there's a wolf, there's this black wolf, and there's this white Siberian husky. You know, these two animals inside of you, and they're fighting against each other. So the black wolf would represent your sinful nature, and the, the beautiful Siberian husky would represent your good nature, your renewed nature. And as the story goes, these two animals are constantly fighting each other. You know, they, they wake up in the morning, they start fighting, they break for a little meal and they're back at fighting, they're fighting all the day and they, they go to sleep and they wake up and they fight some more. They're constantly at war within you. And the question, as the story goes, is which one is going to win over time? And the classic answer is the one that you feed, right? The one that you feed. So if over time you're feeding the good dog, it's going to get stronger and be able to defeat the wolf, the wolf's going to starve and get, get weaker, and that's a great, great story. And the moral is, of course, feed your new nature. Like do the things that are, that are beneficial. You know, and, you know build up your, your faith by feeding that instead of feeding the old nature by doing the sinful things. Okay, and that's good. I'm going to take that a step further today, though. And say, just imagine that story. Okay, instead of slowly starving the wolf to death, what if, what if one morning, you woke up? before the, the wolf and the dog got up and you just pulled out your gun and shot the wolf. Okay. Wouldn't that be better than just slowly starving the wolf to death over time in a war of attrition? Why well, don't you just got up in the morning and just shot the wolf? Dog wins. Okay. That's what this, this prayer is, I think. It's, it's Jesus telling us, hey, every day, why don't you just start your day by shooting the wolf? Just shoot the wolf. You know, every night when you go to sleep, your wolf, your dog, they go to sleep too. But when you wake up, it does not take long for them to start fighting. And, and, and sometimes your whole day is set off depending on who gets the first blow in. Right? So if the first thing that happens when you wake up in the morning is you reach for your phone and you see an email where someone's critiquing something you've done. Oh. Or you, you look at the news and you see something stupid somebody did that makes you angry or you start to be afraid about what's going to happen. Then you get out of bed and your kid does something mildly annoying and you blow up at him. And there's your whole day, just a wolf on top. That's not what you wanted to happen today. But what if? What if before anything else happened, you got up in the morning, and you just shot the wolf? You just take some time to say the Lord's Prayer, to remember that God's your loving Father, to praise Him for all that He's done. Ask for Him to reign in your life and in the world today submit your plans to him, and then say, Lord, Lord, I know I've got this war going on inside of me today. I know I have this sinful nature and this renewed nature, and I really want the renewed nature to win today. I want to do your will. May your will be done. I can't. I can't do it on my own. I want to do my will. Would you please come in and just shoot the wolf? Would you please, please help me today? Empower me today to do what I cannot do on my own. Who will deliver me from this body of death? And when you pray like that, the Holy Spirit shows up and he pulls out his gun and he just shoots the wolf. And he enables you to start your day with holiness and to live in obedience to the commands that God has given, the commands that you know that you want to do, but you fail to do. You really can do his will if you surrender and ask for his help. And so Jesus says every day, just start the day. Not my will, but yours be done. I surrender to your plans. I surrender to your commands. Father, help me to do what I cannot do on my own. Now, I do have to say, of course, that your wolf has awesome regenerative powers. And so you've got to keep shooting it. You can't just shoot it once in the morning and figure you're going to be good for the rest of the day or that you're going to be good for the rest of the week. You've got to shoot the wolf every day, multiple times a day. There's going to be times when the wolf seems to be on top, when he is on top, and you realize, oh, I'm sinning, I'm indulging in the things I don't want to do. What do you do? You repent. You pray, not my will, but yours be done. Father, help me now. And you shoot the wolf again. So it's not easy, it's not a one-time thing, but I'm telling you, as you pray this way, over and over and again, over time, God brings victory. So let's practice this prayer of surrender this week. If you look in your bulletins and your note-taking outline, you have a practice plan. Here's what I want you to do this week, to learn to surrender to God's will. I don't know when you've been praying, I want you to pray this week first thing in the morning. So set your alarm ten minutes earlier. When you get up, set a timer for seven minutes. See, I gave you a three-minute buffer there, right? So you you can do whatever you need to do there. But set an alarm, set a timer for seven minutes and pray, Lord, teach me to pray. Read the Lord's Prayer again and ask for these specific things, these surrendering things. Ask God to shoot the wolf of your sinful nature today so that you can live in obedience to his revealed will, right? You're asking, not my will, but yours be done. Shoot the wolf, help me do this. And then tell God about your plans and desires for the day. You wake up in the morning, you've got plans. You know what you want to do? You know what you want to happen? Go ahead and tell God about those things. But say to him, hey, if you have better plans, I want yours more than mine. Not my will, but yours be done. And then talk to God about whatever else is on your hearts or sit in silence. And then because we're taking a break, I'm giving you a Christmas break practice plan. Uh, just try to put it all together. Over the, over the two weeks we're not studying this together, just spend time every day, stay in the habit, and pray through the Lord's Prayer, especially the parts that we've covered so far, using your own words uh, and see what God does. So let's pray. Uh, Father, we desperately need you. It's, it is very humbling. It's humbling to read and be reminded of the truth uh, that we can't even do what we want to do without your help. Um, but I would love for that to change in us, like that, that you would just really create in us a regular daily practice of surrender, that we would be a people who aren't trying to do it on our own, but we would come to you for help. And you would meet us in that place. Lord, we don't want our wills to be done. We don't want our plans to be accomplished. We want yours. So please help us. In Jesus' name, amen.